This is the 353rd Podcast. I'm Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Today we wanted to talk about logistics. And Anders, this is something that uh, if you pay attention to what's happening in China, and in many ways, just like uh, just like in other sectors, the the Pacific Rim seems to be ahead of the U.S. in logistics. And in China, you could argue that uh, it's a case of necessity. They've got so many people and the economy's moving so quickly. And one of the things that they've solved that we have yet to solve here, however, uh, it's getting closer, is this idea of same-day delivery. Yeah, near and dear to my heart. We were talking about this uh, when you were where you were in uh, Jakarta. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah just and we, the, we hinted at it. Problems. That's right. And what what you're seeing in in first of all in obviously in the first tier cities in China, whether it's Beijing or Shanghai, is one of the advantages that they have that we don't is the cost of labor is obviously very low. So they mm. what they're able to do is you know put 500 people on bikes and you know get them around the city and and make deliveries that way. But what I wanted to talk about is. Uh, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal today that Amazon is now uh, starting to compete directly with UPS and FedEx on delivery. They actually launched a service. uh, They announced it today that they're doing truck rolls in San Francisco, Amazon-branded truck rolls for same-day delivery. And, And so I think that's interesting, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then secondarily, I think there's potentially a more interesting way to solve that problem here in the U.S., and that is the way that we've solved things like ride-sharing with, uh, with services like Lyft and Relay Rides, where what about letting ordinary people uh, courier packages and maybe eventually even postal mail to solve the problem with postal mail? But let's talk about Amazon competing with FedEx and UPS directly first. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's very interesting. I saw this article as well, and... Um I mean, it goes to show that they think they can get it done for a, uh, a lower total cost than essentially outsourcing it. And you you have a hard time arguing, I think, uh, against that. Um, the, the one thing, though, that you bring up that I think is much more interesting is uh, giving a package to a person who isn't necessarily a letter carrier. You can imagine that there are problems with that. There's, so, there's lots of security problems with yeah, that. Yeah. That, that would have to be worked through. You've probably got to change the packaging in some way, like tamper-proof packaging or something like that. Right. Well, what about other jobs that don't require the security, like uh, something that's a, that's a, you know not a one-off item, something that's a common item like, uh, you know, well, for example, the, the tool rental idea. Uh, sure. All of those kinds of things. What if the transport is is also farmed out? Um, yeah. You know, or you're 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 moving used things, so the value is lower. Or uh, you're you're moving things that, in aggregate, mean something, but individually don't. Um, I don't know. I think the the so if you go back to the Amazon thing just briefly, one of the reasons they in the article it talks about that they're doing it is that. They had a huge problem over the 2013 Christmas season with shipping delays, and and it, it sort of tarnished the the brand. Right. So it's and a so brand it, thing. That's what. That's how they're. That's how they're pitching it. Yeah. Although, uh, and you know, they are Amazon is constantly going after every part of the value chain. So 
it, uh, it's not really surprising that this is coming. We knew they were doing their own warehousing and setting up these same-day delivery warehouses in major metros. Mm-hmm. That's not new, but the, the idea of the them having their own fleet of trucks uh, and doing their own delivery, I think, is is quite interesting. But back to the back to the um, you know having people do it. What if you? I don't know how you would do this, but I'm sure there's there's lots of ways to pull it off. But if I'm sending a letter or something like that, um, there's got to be a way to package it such that if you think about how you do, you know elect or digital cryptography, mm-hmm. what if you could apply that same kind of thinking to how you package things so that you know if a package has been opened? Yeah. Um, it's actually, there's electronics in the package or something like exactly. that. I don't, really, I don't really know, but yeah. uh, it would make the packaging more expensive. But if you're, uh, and that would be a short-term thing, I think. The packaging would be, it would be more expensive short-term, but eventually it's just a part of part of delivery and i wonder if instead of you getting all of for instance getting all of your mail kind of in pieces in your mailbox what if you just got a tube stuck into your mailbox that uh you know they take uh, every day they take the old one out and put the new and put a new one in and it's you know it hasn't been opened since it left the postal facility or something like that yeah yeah that's interesting there's there's lots of pieces so to get back to the uh the digital thing of course splitting up Digital data and and having multiple carriers move it, uh, most mostly the internet kind of makes that uh, irrelevant. But if you're still the the highest bandwidth carrier you have is literally physically toting hard drives around. You can drop them somewhere and and you know you you'll get the data there a lot faster than you would if you uh, tried to transfer it over the internet so maybe there maybe there are interesting things in moving uh moving large large amounts of data and the case in point might be a company that wants to split up their data and and give it to a few key employees to have them you know house it remotely or move it to a remote site and they they do it with uh, you know let's say you split it up into to a two of three type of a scenario, yeah. where if at least two of those packages make it intact to the end, the original data can be recovered, but no one carrier can figure it all out, and you know maybe have uh, maybe there are interesting things there. Um, there's if you lot- think about this idea of you know if I let's say that I commute from. Uh, you know what's a what's a suburb of Boston? Yeah, uh, well, so Arlington. Uh, yeah, so know, let's say I commute from tea. Arlington into downtown Boston every right. day yeah. and back out, right? Yeah. So what if I couriered mail both ways as a way to earn extra money while I'm doing it, or right. like I've, making use of thing people who are already on the road that have capacity? It's uh, yeah, that have latent capacity. Yeah, so, latent capacity. So the interesting thing there is. Is uh, I mean, you already have the road and the and you know to bring the the packages to a central thing. So maybe the distance is not as interesting as it is once you get it into downtown Boston. Which, frankly, you can walk across downtown Boston in you know ten minutes. So, uh, it, but it still is uh, a city, and there is not an efficient way to get places if you know somebody is going to the 14th floor at you know 53 state street or whatever some building yeah yeah um and that's right where this thing needs to go then you 
you possibly even pay more for that because it's going to go right there right now. You don't have to, uh, you know, set something special up because there's somebody already going there. So yeah, and you're you, not dealing with the vagaries of the U.S. Postal Service or right. yeah, or well, even, it's the same day thing we're talking about, and we're really yeah. talking about the bike messenger of New York City in the '90s and the '80s. Remember these mm-hmm. guys? Like That's I, right. I used to, I used to work at uh, at Comedy Central, and we would make a TV show every day, and a bike messenger would physically. Uh, grab the tape and ride it down to the HBO offices from the, from the Comedy Central offices. And, uh, it would just courier it there every day. And then, uh, and this is like a rental service you essentially sign up for. And then that was couriered out because you couldn't uplink to the satellites from inside New York City. There's too much radio noise. So they did it out in Smithtown, out, out on Long Island. So they would courier a whole pile of tapes out to Long Island to be, uh, uplinked that night and, and shown on, on, uh, you know, on Comedy Central slash HBO slash whatever. So it's kind of like taking the whole, you know, bike messenger things. So there's still a, there's still a need for that in the city. You, yeah. you want to get something from one side of the city to the other in the same day. Your only option is really a bike messenger. Now we've theorized in the past about using a, an autonomous quadcopter or whatever, but right now the state of the art is, is, uh, you know, a paid bike messenger, but there still are people, maybe they're not going to fly along as quickly as a bike will, but, you know, my goodness, it'll be there in an hour, you know, either way. Uh, why not take somebody up on the fact that they're walking across town or they're taking the, the one or the nine up, you know, uptown to, uh, you know, to 113th Street or something? Well, if you know where people are going and they obviously know where they're going, if they can register that they are at a certain place and they're going somewhere else and somebody has a pickup point and a drop off that's on your route. I mean, my goodness, why wouldn't you, right? That yeah. seems I mean, you're already doing obvious. it. You're already trusting these bike courier services. I would argue it's no different. All you're doing is saying, I trust you to drive from Arlington into Boston as right. much as I do trust you to walk or ride your bike across Boston. It's no different. Right, but but there's more to it. Like um, the, the trust has been, you could argue, solved with the – uh, you know, the, the fact that I've already done a hundred of these and I've never, you know, all I've a hundred happy customers essentially. I mean, it's just like, look at the, uh, task rabbit, yep, uh, business reputation based, stuff. reputation based, right? So and, you do a background check when yeah. somebody signs up, make sure they're not a criminal. Yeah. And then it, from there on, it's reputation based. Right. If you I take a package small. and it ends up in the river. Right. Then I don't get another package. Right. And so you also brought up another thing, which is like putting little tracking devices in things. The interesting thing here is, of course, the, uh, you know, presumably, I'm just guessing that if you were to deploy a service like this, it would be effectively like Uber, totally based on a, a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you already have, there's your tracking device. You know where the guy is. You can, you know, the app would, uh, would, uh, sort of regularly report every five seconds or whatever it is where the person is so that the, the destination, person at the destination can know you know, reasonably where the package is and how soon it'll get there. Um, yep. So I'm sure that's all part of it as well. And back in the day, uh, I will mention uh, that there was a company that made these one little, these tiny little 
uh, buttons that um, you you would there's essentially you know they look like uh, little you know cell batteries tiny little almost watch mm-hmm. batteries but a little bigger yeah. and um, they had you know interesting little circuitry in them some had the ability to take temperature some were you know actually had uh, a full JVM a full you know uh, computing you know processor in there and some of them were really really basic and some just had a little memory and whatnot and they were cheap enough so that you could stick them on things that uh required some kind of an environmental uh you know had some environmental constraints so the 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 uh example is trying to keep fish frozen so they would stick one of these buttons sure on the package and because the the carrier now is essentially a third party that is told that they need to keep this in within freezing you know certain certain temperature uh uh constraints and and uh but they were a third party and just needed to check on them so what you would do is you would Put one of these things in all the shipments, and what pops out the other end, you connect it to a computer. Blam! You see a, a graph of the temperature the whole time, and whether or not it got outside of the the uh, you know the ranges. And they're they're pretty cool. I've got a bunch of them here, and a little Dallas one wire you know programmer for it, and all that stuff. Um, so the, they're very interesting. So I think there's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the mobile phone can kind of replace that. Not that you're. Too worried about the temperature of your envelope or whatever, but uh, you know maybe. Yeah, but you, you could also, to your point. So if you think about how they handle um, right now, if you transport food for McDonald's or something like that, as yeah. soon as that truck door closes on the refrigerated on the refrigerated trailer, that thing is uh, being monitored in real time for the entire t- uh, you know transit of that truck because there's FDA requirements about. Not only the temperature, right. but just food tampering with food. Yeah. So if that if the back of that truck gets opened in transit, the food that that delivery won't be accepted. So I think you could do. I think there's environmental for some things, and I think you could also do, you know, like daylight sensors or something like that uh, mm-hmm. for a box. So I open the box, and if it hits daylight, you know, yeah. there's, uh, you know, somebody's alerted that the package has been opened, and if it's not at the destination, then, you know, then you've got you got to deal with those outcomes, but I think it's a, it's another instance where if you look at, if you look at what's happening, whether it's Uber or Airbnb or Lyft or any of these other companies, all of these companies are just, um, you know, they're addressing latent capacity right. in, in the, in the economy. And I think this is a, as you look at what's happening, I think shipping in mail I think are interesting areas to think about how to how to solve those problems using people who are already going that way. Right. Yeah, I think it's 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 compelling. I mean, it's very compelling. Um, uh, there there's also there's also a uh, uh, the notion that the whole network kind of works uh, with all of the the little pieces. You know, my phone is tracking where I am and. And somebody else's phone is finding out where I am through the phone and everything. But all the data is essentially ephemeral. Um, yes. You had a point about ephemeral data, so I'm essentially teeing you up here. You are teeing me up. <laughs> I had I was I've been working through this as as with the onset of all of the NSA stuff, and that was you know something that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about. But the there's I've I've been thinking about how do you What's interesting, what, if you watch the evolution of infrastructure, uh, if you look back, you know, when we were working at Bandwidth uh, 12 years ago, for instance, we were building, 
you know, we had our own racks, we built our own servers, we did all our own work. And you, and if you follow it from that day to today, you've got, you know, Amazon where you, or DigitalOcean or these companies where you can roll your, roll your infrastructure uh, using all of someone else or Rackspace would be another great example. You've got all these companies that make that solve that problem and make it a lot easier for you. Absolutely. And I, and I, so I started thinking about what's the next evolution in this, in this whole thing. And it seems to me that there's, there's a, there's a turn coming where, and people are already doing this, where I turn a machine up or I turn a, a server instance up for five seconds and I turn it down or I, you know, or it's for five minutes because I've got this burst of activity because, you know, Oprah just talked about my book. And so I need to burst up and handle all that traffic. But then, you know, five or five minutes or five hours from now, no one will care about me again. And so I, (laughs) you know, I have this, I have this uh, kind of, you can dynamically scale. Yeah. And so I started thinking about uh, the idea of, you know, what does micro scaling look like? Mm. And then furthermore, how do you, how do you apply the idea of ephemeral or very transient information that I don't care about saving? And I don't, furthermore, I may not want to ever be known again. Um, can I combine those two ideas? So that was, that we were talking about this earlier today. I threw it out there as, you know, just this random idea. And so, uh, so here we are. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is very interesting. So I, there's a bunch of uh, things to talk about with this. So uh, first of all, the short, uh, uh, I'll call it short attention span computing. Uh, so this is this is something that you want to, you know, you want to spin something up, do a calculation or, or work with some kind of some kind of data and then get an answer. And now you're done and, and you kind of walk away. And it really uh, sort of lends itself to things that that could be massively paralyzed. Something that's totally impractical when you've got one computer sitting on your desk and suddenly you can spin up a thousand instances or whatever. Um, yeah, or even a practical example I was thinking about is I've got a you know I've got a conference call. I'm doing the Apple earnings call, right? And I've got a conference call where there's going to be you know Several five thousand journalists yeah. on there, mm-hmm. and I don't want. Uh, you know, I want to be paying for the service where I've got to, where I, where I've got to, you know, allow for that capacity all the time. Or you know, I just want to host this event, and this event is going to take place in five seconds or thirty seconds or whatever. Yeah. And I want to go very quickly, burst up capacity, and then and then rip it all back down. Yeah, that's so. That's really interesting. So let's say we were to do exactly that scenario. Okay, so we. We have a basic, you know, in, in, in Amazon parlance, it would be called a, you know, an AMI for asterisk or whatever, or, or free switch. And you would spin up, uh, you know, however many of these things. They, they effectively, once they come up, they, they go phone home, figure out their config settings, and now they're good. And they just participate to do the one task that you have to do, which is essentially DSP, digital signal processing. You want to copy out whatever is being said by the the CEO on the call out to all the other uh, listeners in a reasonable amount of time. And it's a very, you know, it's not extremely CPU. It's mostly BAM, it's mostly IO, you know. So you, you, you buy these things and they spin up and they do this job and then they shut down and they are no more specialized. I mean, it's probably relatively 
inefficient compared to what you could do with a physical DSP, but it, the point is you can scale it way up and then make it disappear in in two minutes. Yeah, it's really interesting. So back in the day, um, uh, we scripted this. We tried to make a system that could just, through an API, through Amazon's API, spin up many instances and then have the, you know, essentially just run one server that is the master controller. And as new instances come up, they phone that uh, that controller and figure out what their configs are, what they should be doing, et cetera, and then tear down. The problem was it, uh, uh, you know, it, it takes some time to get that stuff up and going. And sure. I think really what you're talking about is, is having it take like even less time than it takes to boot. Do you do things that, you know, maybe it, it starts using resources of stuff that's already up and running. I think yeah, the other, and if you look at it and I'm talking about like sub, one second. Yeah, kind of. right. That's the only way and you're going to you, get there. Yeah, and if you look at so there's projects out there on the uh, on the internet. Uh, Google's got a project called Drone, um, which is a basically a continuous integration service. So if if for those of you that don't know what continuous integration is, the idea is that you can be constantly writing, you know, up, uh, writing updates for your program. Those programs go through an automated test suite. And then the updates are pushed live, all without any human interaction. And furthermore, you can also scale dynamically. So if there's something happening on your network and uh, you need to, you've got, like in my Oprah scenario, you need some additional capacity, the the drone project, which has nothing to do with things that fly around. Um, uh, drone.io. Yeah, drone.io. And then there's a, a companion project called Docker. Yeah, and right. and so you've got this uh, a way to spin up instances, you know, very very instances of servers and things like that very very quickly, and and that's this from what I know is how Google manages their infrastructure um, mm-hmm. across you know literally probably by now millions of of instances. So it's a it's a but if we if you. You th- think about this. There's not only the spinning it up, but then I think if you start thinking about the the ephemera, if you take into account this idea that I may not want this information to be stored or saved or anything like that, I want the instance to just go poof. Yeah. Because maybe I had this call and it was a let's say it was a Department of Defense issue or something like that, and I want to have this phone call between you and me. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about something, and then that's gonna go away. So I need something that facilitates a bridge between you and I, and that can be whatever technology it wants. We want it to be, and then uh, and then that. But I don't ever want there to be a record of what took place. So, what do you think about this? Not only just quickly spinning things up and spinning them back down. I think that's a problem that we're that's we're gonna see you know huge strides forward in over the next couple of years. But what about this idea of things being temporary or ephemeral as well? Right. So the, that's the other piece of uh, of what I wanted to touch on. Um, I think that uh, you know, as as data stops living on data that you generally process stops living locally and more lives on a number of servers on the the quote cloud unquote. Uh, it, it you know ephemeral computing. Hate. I hate that word. Uh, ephemeral computing like this really does make a lot more sense. Uh, but re- what you're really talking about not only is ephemeral computing, but also f- ephemeral data. And yes, we had uh, Farshad on 
who is the uh, the CEO and founder of Pixa, the company that makes the perspective uh, application. And he's got so the perspective. Just for our listeners, a little background is an uh, application that you run on an iPad. Uh, I think it also works on the iPhone. And it's a presentation software. So you're able to create and give presentations with the software. So the interesting thing about it is it has a feature called Airshow, which is the ability for one iPad to effectively broadcast a, uh, a presentation to any number of other iPads. And then, and this is essentially the same problem. It's, it's an ephemeral broad, like you just broadcast this. Uh, it's ephemeral. I do the presentation once, it gets copied out to all the other devices, and then things go on. Well, so if we're talking about the way we were originally sort of thinking about this, where, you know, okay, we have to do a big phone call with thousands of people or whatever, you kind of need that centralized in one central place. And that is the way Airshow originally worked. The um, the the broadcaster would connect to a, a uh, Airshow server on the internet somewhere, and then all of the other listeners would also connect, and that's how the communication would, would happen. But as it turns out, usually you're broadcasting to people in the room, and there's only, you know, it's a subset of the time that you're going to want to broadcast to not only people in the room, but also people all over the world. You don't do that every single time. Usually just broadcast to the people in the room. So it's gotten so ephemeral that the effectively all of the functionality of the server is in the broadcaster's app. Hmm. So he's able to say uh, on the local network, hey, I've got this presentation I'm going to do, and all the other iPads that happen to be connected on the same network, you know, through the same Wi-Fi or whatever it is, they all say, you know, through Bonjour, what, you know, what are, is, are there any sort of, you know, uh, presentations happening? And they'll get, they'll be notified that this presentation is happening. They'll say, okay, do I have it? Say no. All right, so let me download it. And it's going to download it directly from the presenter. The presenter pushes the data to each one, effectively broadcasts it out, and everybody listening gets a copy. And then he just starts saying, "Well, I'm on slide, you know, five or whatever, and I'm pointing at this, and the and the whole presentation happens. No server, no server required. Mm. Um, I think that's that's emblematic of where this this ephemeral computing thing is going." Yeah, I think it's it, we're going to see a a pretty a pretty big shift away from uh, where I'm paying per month for something. Yeah, I think this is the natural evolution. If you think about, you know, before you paid, you know, you'd pay three thousand bucks for a, for a Dell Blade server or whatever it was, or a, you know, a One U nineteen fifty or whatever it was back in the day. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was when things were when we were living large. It was in nineteen fifty, but the but you, you, so you had all this money up front, and you had to go configure it, and it was a bunch of work. And then you kind of offloaded all of that to Amazon or Rackspace or these other companies, and let them worry about racking all of the equipment and maintaining the uptime. And you would just sign up and say, "Hey, I'm going to use this computer for the next 30 days." And with Amazon, you can turn stuff up and turn stuff down. But as you said, it still takes. You know, turn up an Amazon instance, it's still some number of minutes. It takes time minute. and configuration. Right. And so you've got to have the image ready and you've got all yes. these steps to go through. And it's still not easy enough yet. And I've been using DigitalOcean instead of Amazon lately. 
And you can start to see like they're already making it way easier to get up and get going than Amazon does. Mm. And I think the, the, it feels like the next evolution of this is where I literally say, you know, I need this for the next five seconds and then it can go away. Yeah. And I, and it's going to be fast enough getting up and, you know, it's going to come online, register itself, you know, do the work and then shut back off. I think maybe to do that, you need, a bit more standardization around uh, so so back in the day there were like a million linux distributions these days it's there's really not many it's basically mm-hmm. ubuntu the you know amazon ami i mean i guess there's still red hat i i don't use it there there's not really a ton of uh, different things so things are gotten a lot more sort of standardized. So maybe in order for this idea to take off, ephemeral computing, there's got to be the the automatic configuration thing kind of nailed down into a little box that's very easy that everybody just knows, you know, oh, you just you just plug in your your boxes, you know, IP and it goes and figures out the configs and this is how you do everything standard. Um I, I maybe that's maybe that's what's necessary, a little bit of that. Yeah, and you get some of that with companies like Heroku, right? Where you're really True. right just talking, you know, there it's even simpler. You're not really dealing with the core underlying OS in Heroku. They've exposed the things that you need to run Ruby or Node or whatever it is. Yeah. And they've sort of jailed you off from doing everything you could ever do in Linux. They just tell you, oh, if you want, you know, if, here's a Mon- here's a way to run Mongo, here's a way to uh, you know, here's a way to run Ruby, here's a you know, I need a MySQL database or whatever it is. But they've they've already abstracted away a lot of the complexity, and you know getting a Heroku instance up is very simple. Yeah, and you you know you've got these APIs that are already built into whether it's Ruby Gems or the Node Node.js NPM registry. You've got all these. It's just software now. Yeah, and, I, I, yeah. There's got to be an 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 analog. <laughs> to Heroku in the node world where you can just you know it's a it's a server and who knows what what it's running it's probably running Linux but I don't know nor care and then I just have an npm module that I say okay push my code to the server and have it run in the in the cloud for me I'm sure there's a the similar thing I think Heroku does node right now Heroku oh they do yeah oh, okay yeah so oh, they're not just uh, they're not just ruby dudes anymore yeah but okay. uh, cool anyway very interesting so that's uh that's I think you've coined a new term there, ephemeral computing. How about Can that? Can we say that? I need to go. I need to go register. You that. should register the domain right before I'm, I might put this up very quickly. You never know, so you better do it quick. Um, <laughs> All right, that's our show for today. We've got a special show coming up uh, for show number seventy-one. Yes, we do. Definitely, you're going to not want to miss this one. We'll Til see next, you next time. Till next time.